to be rescued like that and go from just the sense of hopelessness to all of a sudden you're alive and you're going to make it. And then I think the next feeling is just guilt. And I took my ski boots off and then I took my ski socks off and I watched my feet go from completely white to black as soon as the air hit them. I'm Rebecca Huntington and you're listening to The Fine Line, a monthly podcast produced by Backcountry Zero. This episode is sponsored by StatRef, a product from Jackson-based Teton Data Systems. StatRef provides the latest healthcare information to students, researchers, and practicing clinicians. Find us online at statref.com. It feels like two or three people get lost there every year. The black hole. That's the name skiers give the Mosquito Creek drainage, famous for swallowing disoriented backcountry skiers and snowboarders. It's a place where the terrain looks disarmingly similar, luring skiers down slope until it's too late and you're at the bottom. It's a simple mistake, but it can have life-threatening consequences, as Craig Benjamin and Zach Jacob discovered during a backcountry tour on January 20th, 2002. Craig Benjamin, I'd moved to Jackson in the fall to ski deep snow and big mountains. I'd graduated from college and then moved to Jackson, mainly because the gates had recently opened and I really wanted to learn how to ski in the backcountry and gotten a job working at Domino's and was working for the mountain resort at Nick Wilson's and skiing as much as I could in the backcountry and trying to get to know it. I had taken the obligatory AVI-1 course with my friends and, you know, we'd gone out and practiced with our shovels and probes and transceivers and were trying to be responsible. But really, I was just your classic early 20s, you know, middle-class kid who moved here to ski a lot. And my buddy, Zach, uh, Jacob, and I, who had become friends that winter, decided to head up towards Teton Pass. We were planning on just skiing one lap in Avalanche Bowl, and we boot-packed south along the ridge. Now reading the incident report, it looks like we actually made a good decision and decided not to drop into Avalanche Bowl because it looked relatively slabby. But we continued further out to, I think we thought we were heading more towards the claw, but the storm had rolled in that was going to hit that night, and we really lost our bearings and weren't quite sure exactly where we were. And thinking we were heading back towards Avalanche Bowl, we actually dropped into the black hole of Mosquito Creek. Uh, which is something people do two or three times a year. Uh, We didn't know where we were at the time until we got to the bottom. And with all the new snow that was down, there was no way we were going to be able to hike back up. So we thought it only made sense to continue down the drainage. That was really challenging. I was on alpine skis. Zach was on a snowboard. So we were barely moving, just slogging down the creek bed for what felt like forever. And by the time it got to about four o'clock and we realized the sun was going to set, we realized uh, there was no way we were getting out that night. I remember being very calm and just thinking, okay, what do we need to do? So we dug a snow cave with our shovels and Zach suggested we lined it with pine bows because that would keep us warmer at the night. We were not prepared for a night out. We didn't have extra clothes. We didn't have extra water or food. I think we might have had granola bars and, you know, a Nalgene. So I was supposed to be at work at Domino's, probably starting in about the four o'clock range, just the early dinner shift. That was the lucky thing that I had to be at work and I had just sort of random roommates. They weren't people that were particularly friends with mine. I just rented a room from them. So they weren't people I would have told where I was going or known what I was up to. But Zach had actually moved out here with his two roommates, Gabe and Steve. The four of us were all pretty close friends back then. And when Zach and I didn't show up, they 
went looking. They drove up the pass, they found my tiny little two-door RAV4 still up there buried in snow, and Domino's also noticed we weren't there, so we were very fortunate that people knew where, they knew that we were skiing on the pass. We hadn't actually told them exactly where we were going, which we definitely should have done. My name is uh, Tim Seal Carlin. Currently, I'm the search and rescue chief advisor, and um, I was the search and rescue director along with Doug Meyer, then search and rescue aid coordinator. He and I were uh, acting as incident command. Well, it started Sunday evening late, about um, 12.30, actually, I think it's 12.25 or so. Your roommates called the SO and called 911 and said, hey, you know, we've got some friends that haven't come back and we think they're up the pass. But no one knew where you went. We didn't know if you went south or north. And you had rumored to ski Avalanche Bowl before and you were pretty unfamiliar to the area, which was a big uh-oh to us because the storm had really been raging all day. And in fact, um, the pass was being closed at night for explosive avalanche control. We could hear the uh, explosions all night. Yeah, well, they held it open for us initially because we went up and down and we got the call as a board about 1.15, 1.30 after the SO deputies had found your car and made some more investigations. Our concern was we'd gotten some friends had reported kicking off avalanches. One person had gotten buried that day in an avalanche. And when you drop down into the North Fork of Mosquito Creek, that whole drainage dropping down that six miles is littered with avalanche terrain. Yeah. And it's extremely prone because it never gets skied. Mm-mm. And it's extremely prone to slide. And how you guys got through that without propagating a slide is amazing. Not only that, the avalanche activity and the, the storm was so powerful with a lot of winds and cold temps. We were worried about avalanches, of course, but we were also worried about you know, where could you be? And the visibility that that day, Sunday and Monday, it was almost zero. And it snowed so much that it also covered up all your tracks. We contacted some folks from up at the rangers up at the park to help us. Uh, we brought in Pinedale, some of their snowmobilers to help us. And um, we sent people up glory to stay on the main ridge and stay at the top and just, but they got up there and it was so heinous. They couldn't even talk on the radio. The wind was blowing really hard. They couldn't see. We tried to light a fire, but everything was really wet. Uh, we even actually tried to light money on fire and that didn't work. <laughs> uh, yeah, it felt it was waste of $20 bills and definitely didn't work. So then we basically spent the night spooning, snuggling, trying to keep each other warm. We would get out of the cave probably every, every hour or so and jump around and uh, try to keep ourselves warm. And unfortunately, I left my ski boots on. I, you know, I loosened them, but I didn't fully take them off. Zach being in snowboard gear was definitely much more comfortable that evening. When we woke up in the morning, that's when we made what we later realized was a really, really poor decision. And for some reason decided that we couldn't be that far from highway 22. So we decided to head back North thinking we could hit the road. Uh, we later learned that we were only about 20 yards from an outfitters camp at the end of the, uh, Mosquito Creek road. And that if we had just kept going down the way we were headed, we would have hit that road very shortly and likely been able to skate and kind of make our way down to fall Creek road, or at least been able to find search and rescue earlier in the next day. But instead we decided to, head north or whatever direction we thought was north. We could barely see. It was hammering snow. It was windy. There was basically no visibility. We were looking for any kind of sign. That That's the thing. Can we find any kind of idea where you might have gone? 
and everybody's looking in Avalanche Bowl. They're in, you know, all the tracks are blown in. There's nothing obvious. And we also snowmobile up Mosquito Creek Road. It's actually a 11-mile snowmobile ride up to where the outfitter camp is in the fall. And um, we went up and down there very early but didn't see any tracks. And we kind of went all over the place. And the snow that day, I think from my recollection, it was about 14, 16 inches of new snow. Um, like I said, very limited visibility and 10, 12 degrees, pretty strong winds. So we were getting pretty worried. Um, we'd kind of scoured the mountains from three directions and we didn't find anything. And one of our teammates, um, Ray Shriver and, um, another teammate, I don't re- recall. And by the way, Ray since passed, he, in a, uh, we had a helicopter accident and it's unfortunate, but, um, Ray was good. He could find tracks from anybody, anywhere. Um, he found this track, called it in. He said, this just doesn't look right. It was a skier and a snowboard track. And at the time, I don't think we knew that there'd be one snowboarder. We were wandering, basically lost in the ridges behind Crescent H Ranch, just going up and down. There was a moment that I think I'll always remember. It must have been about 4 p.m. that second day where we laid down to rest and I actually laid down and I just remember feeling really warm and comfortable and thinking, you know, I could just close my eyes and hang out for a bit and gather my strength. And that's when I realized that if I didn't move, I was gonna die. I felt this huge shot of adrenaline and we looked at each other and just decided to keep going down even after it got dark and just keep going. This episode is sponsored by StatRef. A product from Jackson-based Teton Data Systems, StatRef, the premier healthcare e-resource, enables students, researchers, and practicing clinicians to intuitively cross-search full-text titles, journals, and evidence-based point-of-care tools. With nearly 600 resources within over 50 healthcare disciplines, StatRef provides the latest healthcare information in a customizable and convenient format. Find us online at statref.com. So Ray took off on these tracks from the top of the pass and just started following them. Truly like it was a dog on the scent, right? Mm. But you had, he had to ski down six miles. That's how far down it is to get to where you guys camped. He found the camp. And then when that started all coming together, we brought all our resources that direction. Snowmobilers, we brought the people back off the top. You guys were working really hard because you can see where Zach was post-holing up in what must have been waist-deep snow. Yeah. And uh, so we were moving along a lot faster, but we were getting pretty worried. It was getting dark that day, and we we're going, holy cow, these guys are going to spend another night. And that night was going to, that next night, Monday night, was going to be really cold. I knew my feet were really cold at that point. I could barely feel them. We didn't have any more water. We were absolutely exhausted. We were starving. So we just kept heading down, uh, thinking we're going to keep doing this until we either die of exhaustion or we hit something. The two guys that were behind you, they were chasing you guys down. You may not know that, but they truly were (laughs) running behind you on their skis as fast as they could. You guys are going up and down and then go back up and around in circles. And, you know, I actually went back there for the first time since then this summer. Wow. I I had never been back up Mosquito Creek and um, myself and the kids and another family were good friends with. We went back there to go camping. And I think that's when I, 15 years later, 
realized how far back it was. Yeah, you guys were messed. You were hosed. Yeah, it was, it was <laughs> pretty know. deep. I was on Alpine Bindings. Oh, you were on Alpine yeah, Bindings? So, oh my gosh, I yeah. remember that. That makes it worse. Yeah, it was bad. So how did you go uphill either? I mean, you just kind of went sideways and then cracked postal. I was going postal lane. Zach was postal lane. You know, on the flatter parts, I could kind of shuffle. And I don't think what people don't realize, post-hauling and waist-deep snow, it's uh, that has to be a quarter mile an hour on a, on a good day. We actually found a creek that had a little bit of water running that we managed to get some water and drink some of that, which was freezing cold, but amazingly, uh, amazingly good. And that's when, you know, we started to realize it was going to get dark soon. And about 4.15, 4.20, 4.30, that's when we heard snowmobiles. And I think that was the greatest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. And we yelled as loud as we could and screamed. It was just such an incredible feeling to be rescued like that and go from just the sense of hopelessness to all of a sudden you're alive and you're going to make it. And then I think the next feeling is just guilt and the fact that you put so many people's lives at risk because you did something stupid was just horrible. And I remember getting down to where Doug and uh, the snowmobilers and they were, we get down, I'd never been in a snowmobile before and we get down to everyone. And I, I think I said something like, I owe you guys all a beer and a steak. I mean, thank, <laughs> thank you so much for, for being out here. And I'm so sorry. And I'm pretty sure I was crying because I just felt so bad that, you know, here are all these people who have families and put their lives at risk to save strangers who just did something dumb. And that was a that was a really really bad feeling, but also just an incredible feeling of gratitude. And I I remember my parents. I remember Doug handed me the phone to call. He had, they let my parents know that I was okay, and that just her voice. That was amazing. Just that feeling. Just so thankful. Yeah, you know, it's equally as uh, the same feeling comes over us because we're we're busting our butt and we're doing everything we can find you, and we found you alive. Yeah, and that's such a big deal to us. We were, we were really afraid of Monday night because we knew that you spent a, a really night out cold and wet. And when we found your tracks, the, the closer we got to you, the fresher the tracks were, obviously. But you can tell you guys were really slowing down and wearing out. And where you are at, there is no way you're making it to civilization. Not that night. Uh, we felt very fortunate that we did come upon you. And it really was Ray Shriver found your tracks. And he was calling in coordinates as he went. And we were ma- mapping the tracks that was my job, and as incident commander, we were following your tracks. They're all over the place. You guys must have skied 20 miles <laughs> or, or postal. <laughs> yeah, I remember it being exhausting, just feeling like we had no idea what we were doing, and you were making such poor decisions. Yeah, and you know, you did a good decision, though. You held up on um, Sunday night, you know, and you tried to stay warm, got under the trees, and did the best you can. And it wouldn't have been easy to find that outfitter's camp where you were at because that gets snowed in and there are really no tracks there. Yeah. And if you didn't know it was there, you wouldn't know the road was there because it's just flat. It looks just like the terrain. And even then it's six miles of nothing before you get to where the snow wheels actually ride. So no matter what you say, yeah, if I would have just crossed the Creek, I would have skied out. It really wouldn't have been that easy. Yeah. We might've found you sooner because that's the side we can ride snowmobiles on. Even then, it was it's you were a long way in the backcountry. You know what's what's interesting is for me personally, this was actually just kind of the start of the whole incident because once we were rescued, we went back to the Wilson School, the elementary school, yep, where you had your incident commands, and I remember everyone cheering when we walked in and just this feeling of elation from everyone, and 
Search and Rescue had sandwiches and Gatorades, and I think Zach and I each polished off probably two sandwiches and two huge Gatorades in about 30 seconds. And then I went to the bathroom, and I still hadn't taken off my ski boots and decided I, I had to peel these things off. And I took my ski boots off, and then I took my ski socks off. And I watched my feet go from completely white to black as soon as the air hit them. And I came waddling out of the bathroom. And I, you know, this is where it starts to get really blurry for me. But I specifically remember everyone's faces went white when they saw my feet. And someone yelled to get him up on the table. And they put me up on the table and called an ambulance because my feet were really, really badly frostbitten. My recollection is it was snowing so hard that the first ambulance that was trying to get out there either crashed or had some sort of issue because it was so bad. And that the next ambulance got to me uh, to take me to St. John's. I remember the, the emergency responder basically saying, well, Craig, we can hook you up with the morphine now or when you get to the hospital. But either way, as your feet start getting feeling back, this is going to hurt unlike anything you've ever felt. That, that was true. It was, it was crazy. I'll be honest, that was a really scary night. I mean, I went to ER at St. John's and I was on so many drugs. I just remember people constantly running in and out of my room, doing things, and it just being really scary. And, you know, it was a question of whether I was going to keep my feet, whether I was going to keep my toes. They didn't know at that time because it was really bad. Uh, but I do know that after six days at the hospital and then another couple weeks over at the hitching post across the street and incredible medical care and physical therapy at St. John's that I actually have on my toes still and they might not look good and they might get cold really easily, but they still work. And that's just incredible. It feels like two or three people get lost there every year, that it's a thing that happens regularly and Having both made that mistake and as someone that skis the pass pretty regularly, it's an understandable mistake because you get out on that ridge and you think you're going one way, but you're actually not, especially when the visibility is bad and most of the aspects look like they, they can look very similar. It's my understanding that the name comes from the fact that once you're down there, you're, you're pretty lost. You get up on the ridge by where, um, where Mount Ellie is at and a couple, three miles from the pass and parking lot. And that ridge line follows the headwaters of the North Fork of Mosquito Creek. And most of those ridges look, and you get turned around, they look like you're going the right direction, and you drop down them, and you're absolutely going the wrong way. But you don't know it until you're really committed and have gone a long way. In fact, we've had rescuers up there in the night looking for people, not knowing where they're at. It was snowing so hard, and the only way we got them out is... We were talking on the radio. They were giving us coordinates, and we were, and they had a compass. We were telling them which way to go in the dark because they would have dropped into the black hole too. And it's easy. It sucks up. It does suck up two or three or four groups of people every year. Just a huge amount of lessons. I mean, it starts at the front end with making sure people know where you're going and about what time you think you'll be back, yep. you know, especially now being married with kids. I mean, my wife always knows where I'm going, who I'm going with. You've got everyone's phone numbers. Uh, you know approximately what time you're going to be home. You know what time to start worrying because, you know, sometimes if you're skiing in the park or longer tours, it just takes longer. But you always have kind of that ETA of, okay, when should I start to get a little concerned? Um, and then bringing significantly more, always making sure water, food, emergency blanket, um, 
medical supplies, just things that you may need, uh, given that you're in the backcountry and you don't want to weigh a thousand pounds. Um, that and just knowing the terrain, I'm very, very cautious ever since then of knowing exactly where I am and where I'm going uh, and being with people who do and not get into that situation of, well, this looks good or I think this is this, but really being comfortable with it. So I know it definitely changed the way I skied for years in terms of spending a lot more time scouting and just going and exploring and figuring out where things were and going with people that were really knowledgeable and never never doing things for the first time as a group, always doing things for the first time with people that knew them and skied them, knew them well, and were really comfortable. Ruth Ann Petroff was then the owner of Domino's, who was an incredible boss. And Jerry uh, was the manager who now runs Cuddy's and the new restaurant out at the village. And uh, actually the next day I got a message from Jerry on my cell phone, which we didn't bring our phones with us when we went skiing. And I had a message from Jerry saying, Craig, I don't know where you are, but I know where you're supposed to be and you're not here. <laughs> and he, he later came to the hospital and apologized for that. When I got to the hospital, the first person there was Ruth Ann. And Ruth Ann showed up at the nurse's station with a big stack of pizzas and said, take care of that guy. And I just thought that was such an incredible thing. When I heard that story from the nursing staff, I just felt like I was part of a community where people really took care of each other. And it was a really powerful feeling. I'm just reading notes of this report from 2002, and the deputy says, as an observer of these activities over the year, I would say that it's likely SAR activities saved two lives today. Had they not been found today, it's unlikely from their condition, frostbite on the feet, they would have survived another night out in the extreme weather currently present. They didn't have food, no dry clothing, and no way to make a fire. That's pretty powerful to read that. 14 years, 15 years later. We're lucky. Thank you. Yeah. So good to be sitting here talking about it, isn't it? <laughs> it's really good. It's, yeah. it's bringing back a lot of emotions. Yeah, I bet. This podcast is produced by Backcountry Zero, a vision of the Teton County Search and Rescue Foundation to reduce fatalities and serious injuries in the Tetons. Find out more at backcountryzero.com.